This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name's Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. On today's episode, I want to welcome Heston Russell. Heston's a retired Special Forces major and the founder of Voice of a Veteran. Heston launched Voice of a Veteran in September 2020 as a platform where modern veterans can speak out and be heard by someone who will take action to fix a system that should be projecting our patriotic heroes to greatness after service. And thank you again for all of the support with the Move Your Mind book. It's now available Australia-wide in stores, online through Booktopia and Amazon, and for pre-order globally, you can find all of the links through nickbrax.com. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Heston, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Been trying to organise this for a little while, but it's uh, great to be able to do this with you from we're on the other sides of the planet right now, from New yeah, York to Aussies. Brisbane, <laughs> two Aussies in different parts of the world. But yeah, appreciate you making the time. No, thanks so much for having me on, mate. It's good to be here. Thank you, mate. Well, um, first of all, we normally ask the guest uh, before we get into it, just to give a bit of a background on where you've come from and how you sort of got to where you are now. Um, if you don't mind just giving yeah, a bit of a background on yourself. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the short story, um, born in Sydney, grew up in Brizzy, uh, did all my schooling and then joined uh, straight into the Australian Defence Force Academy, so into the Army. Once I finished straight out of high school, where I did a degree for three years, went to our Royal Military College for one year, so that was four years in Canberra. And then I graduated as a, um, a lieutenant, a platoon commander in the Army, and spent three years up in Townsville, deployed over to East Timor. And then um, the main part of my story, I guess, starts from 2010 when I joined uh, the Australian Special Forces, particularly the commandos. And uh, over the course of the next nine years, until I got out at the start of 2019, I would conduct four deployments to Afghanistan, uh, once to Iraq. I would spend a year, 2015, um, living and working on exchange to the US Special Forces. And the last sort of 18 months of my career was spent um, redesigning and running our Special Forces uh, selection course. So right now, uh, I started up a organisation called Voice of a Veteran, who basically speaks out uh, on veterans' mental health. Uh, long story short, we've been suffering a bit of a mental health crisis here in the Australian military for the last two decades in particular. Uh, we lost 41 uh, people in combat in Afghanistan, and we've lost over 700 since we started in that deployment in 2001 to uh, suicide. And uh, August last year, I sort of had my own suicidal ideation as a byproduct of just my failure to transition myself from a life of service um, and everything that it, that encompassed through to to some of the systemic uh, issues facing uh, our system. And I started sort of speaking out with Voice of a Veteran being that platform for me to have an identity to do so. And since then, we've done a number of things, including in the last couple of months, 
bring about the calling of a Royal Commission into veteran uh, suicide here in Australia. So right now my organisation just really focuses on trying to, through example, breaking down all of those stigmas surrounding uh, mental health, in particular for myself, accepting that as vulnerability and not weakness and using what was meant to be a, a, a glossy profile on the cover of a book to actually help break down a lot of those barriers and realise um, through my own vulnerability I can help a lot of other people. Uh, and in doing so, we're just really trying to take on uh, a lot of the same quests that you are, mate, really trying to bring mental fitness to the forefront, make it daily uh, mental fitness as opposed to just mental health. Um, and there's still a long road to go, so, yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing that, mate. And, um, yeah, sounds amazing what you're doing. And like you're saying, I think that's that's really the way that we can change that stigma and get people talking about it by leading from example and talking about your own stories and yeah. uh you know I, I don't know in detail about that military side but i i know over the years i've heard how big of an issue it is but that's pretty alarming that the stats that you were saying and uh yeah i think it's an amazing thing that you're um you're doing that work in that specific area because it obviously needs as much as much help as possible yeah yeah well, thanks, and a lot of it a lot of people think it comes down to like post-traumatic stress and you know things that we've seen in combat and all of that but um, particularly for you know my generation and the next generation, it's really come down to a lot of uh, what we call this, this moral injury and the way in which we've been transitioning our people from defence, going from this fully immersive um, career that isn't a career, it's a life. You know your community and your purpose and every single thing that you need per Maslow's hierarchy of needs is provided mm-hmm. in the all-encompassing nature that is service. And then um, when someone is then removed from that. Uh, and is left to essentially um, discover who they are. Because you can imagine, we had this saying in the military, you know, that if you're meant to have a wife, if you're meant to have something, it would be issued to you. Uh, the military yeah. provides you with this incredible identity, within an incredible community, within a purpose that provides you with all these proactive layers of resilience. And it's when we remove someone from that and don't adequately train them to have a better sense of self and confidence in who they are, um, unfortunately, it's within that first, second, and third year of that pendulum swing I talk about that are too many people, um, you know, essentially give in to the imposter syndrome uh, and end up removing themselves from the equation. So, yeah, it's a long road. Yeah, ahead. yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I was actually thinking when you were saying it. It sounds like it's sort of a version of you know being in school. You go into this very structured environment. You've got everything looked after. You've got that community. You're going through things together, which. That is so difficult when you've been used to, and you see that with um, athletes. I guess is a good example. Yeah. In, you know, in the AFL, in sporting clubs, when yep. you know you come straight out of school, you go into professional sport. You're in this environment where everything's looked after. You've got you know that camaraderie, and that becomes your entire adult life. And then you finish that, and it's going goes from one hundred to zero. Uh, and yeah. it's like, who am I? What do I do? I haven't had a chance to think about this. So I, I guess it's probably a similar thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on Voice of Veteran, we do a podcast as well, and I did a, um, I did one with Ian Thorpe, and we spoke about the same sort of stuff. Uh, and I actually even, I actually even spoke with uh, Tony Abbott, our former Prime Minister. And you can imagine oh, wow. the sort of the, the same sort of stuff again. And it's not like everything's provided to you on a silver platter. It's more so that you know within the boundaries of your your job, your role, your life, everything is certain. You know, uh, so like again in the military, if you were overseas on vacation and something went wrong there was always sort of a number you would call there's always like someone you reported to there's always someone who was responsible for looking out for you and it's then sort of going to that uh, everyday social environment where you really are responsible for yourself 
and yeah. just not not appreciating um, what that entails. And it's not that you can't live up to it. It's just that you've never done it before. So as we start to struggle at even the very smallest things after being trained to be performing at high and elite level, you actually start to disassociate yourself from this new person who's struggling with, with everyday menial tasks. You know, yeah. I went from being a platoon commander in Afghanistan, you know, commanding 40 guys going out flying missions. And I used that 2012 template of myself as the best version of myself. And then I found myself, you know, 2020, the biggest responsibility for that day was to take my two-year-old sausage dog for a walk. And it was just so hard without having that intrinsic level of motivation, let alone all that other extrinsic layers provided by my team, the mission, you know, responsibilities to find that self-starting and that's why you know you sort of you sort of miss it and it's very hard to get up and go oh yeah absolutely and <clears throat> i think that's one of the biggest things isn't it when we lack purpose and meaning in day-to-day life you sort of don't and it doesn't and that also goes for you know it's not completely linked with your you know financial or your stat financial position or status it's sort of if you wake up and you feel like you've got no purpose and no reason to get out of bed nothing you care about that's when problems sort of start to build because we all need that that reason, you know, to get up. So I guess like it's so hard to find, you know, we need to be taught the skills to find that when we are in that position and don't know, don't have access or don't have that support around us. Yeah, absolutely. And it's even that, you know, most of us got out, like I got out and transitioned to a high paying job, you know, in the military, yeah. you don't really worry about budgets and finance. Again, you're sort of all prepared for. And it was just that very quick recognition that, money doesn't actually make you happy (laughs) status doesn't actually make you happy and actually really honing in on that the key to to health comes down to that actual happiness and being like happy with yourself and as you were just saying you know one thing veterans are really really good at and our system keeps focusing on is trying to give a veteran a new purpose you know give them a new job give them a new purpose and what we're fantastic at doing is throwing ourselves into that purpose and Mm. having that purpose become our identity and what we haven't been very good at is actually transitioning and, and establishing a new community or just a new support network. So, you know, when you don't have purpose and when you don't have that confidence in yourself, as we all know, it's those people who are there who can help and support us. And what we tend to do is really we get isolated from our former community because they have to keep moving on. They're on their mission. And we haven't spent a lot of time during our service, just given how much we move around the country and, you know, when you go onto base, you're there on base mm. and your family's at home and we haven't really had the chance to take people on the journey with us. So all of a sudden, <laughs> particularly families, unfortunately, and there's so many family breakdowns that lead to these issues, are the ones left there sort of going, okay, so <laughs> I yeah. want to help. I don't know how to help. You won't let me help. And then for yeah. the first time, you're relying on your family to support you as opposed to you always being there to support your family. So again, there's this just war of <laughs> identity conflict and emasculation and I guess the ego and... ego kicks in and doesn't yeah, yeah doesn't like it yeah yeah it's it's a random it's a random concoction so a whole bunch of my work at the moment mate is actually trying to break down a lot of these conversations to really focus more on how we need to transition out people um, and not so much on you know post traumatic stress and all these veterans have just seen a lot of bad stuff because you know. I've seen a lot of bad stuff and Donald done a lot of bad stuff, but none of that really affects me because that was the job, that was what I was conditioned for. It's right. just some of that, that emotional trauma that I wasn't ready for. You know, learning as a 33-year-old man how to actually have meaningful and connecting relationships. 
yeah. allow people allow people in, not for a purpose or not for a, a mission or something. So, yeah, anyway. which is also not unusual to be learning these things at that stage in life. You know, we're not taught them in uh, in school, or we don't. You know, parenting often we're not taught it. So a lot of people go through their whole life and never, you know, learn those different skills, and they'll go from job to job and um, yeah. use that to really identify themselves and and not have to look deep into themselves in that way so i think it's something it's just it's so applicable to all walks of life what the stuff you're talking about as well yeah it's such a society thing these days isn't it i remember yeah. when i lived in la for that year you'd meet people they're like you know who are you and what do you do <laughs> yeah exactly it's we, we, we oh keep my defining God. ourselves by what do we do yeah i well i've been yeah i've been back in new york for the last four months and it's crazy like you have to really i mean it's been challenging for me keeping my mental health in line being here because it's just yeah. so fast paced and all the people are just comparing them. You know, it's, it's like people become disposable and they're all talking about yeah. how much money they make or their position or it's just like, and you feel it when you meet a lot of people, they're judging you. And it's like, I, I don't, I just want to get to know the person. Like it, it's insane it's over a, here. So yeah, it sort of it is. It's always shows a comparison, but, but as you would know, like that, that sort of comes from someone else's uncertainty or the need to compare in order to affirm what they've got going on. New York is so busy for me. I don't know how you do it. I remember my first, I went, went, went there for like New Year's in 2012 and I slipped over on like some salt they put on the sidewalk to break down the ice or something. And oh, that, was yeah. like the, that was like the first four hours of being there and I was over it. But it's fun. You're... It's just so hustle and bustle. <laughs> it is. It really is. And I don't know how, you know, how long I'll, I'll be here, but it, it definitely is. It's very difficult to um, maintain balance in, in this city. You've got to make a huge consolidated effort to do it because you're getting you've got sort of noise everywhere people everywhere distraction it's it's a crazy place but um yeah you know we'll see what happens but it, it is interesting good community i'm sure is it what's yeah. the uh, attitude they're like now coming out of sort of chaos and crisis i remember a lot of people saying sort of post september 11 that the community spirit was really massive over there what's it like there now yeah, you do feel that. I think people are just ready to get get on with their lives, and people it, it they're really sort of just eager to just get things back to normal. And it, it does feel like that now. It's sort of, I guess, like they've obviously haven't done a good job um, at the beginning of COVID. But the one thing America's done well is uh, how how quickly they've distributed the vaccine. And I think almost yeah. half the country's been vaccinated now. And you can just walk into a pharmacy and go and get it. So any anyone can get it. So it's um that compared. I guess that's the one thing compared to Australia they've done well. Well, that's it. Comes back to that purpose, mate. You know, here in Australia on our beautiful insulated island, we've been untouched by this. We've had huge reactions, and as if it you know was all deadly. And you know, definitely Melbourne's had um, its issues with it hitting into the the aged care. But you know, I remember those scenes when uh, in the US they deployed the military hospital. To Central Park, you know, they've brought in the um, hospital ship, you know, as a, as a military tactician and operations officer, you know, watching that is like so impressive to me to roll out those capabilities on the homeland and to appreciate that they were actually needed. You know, that's, that's huge. Um, the culture in the US I've found, particularly as a veteran, was always much more supportive. Um, I always say that you're never going to have that sort of um, patriotism unless you've been attacked on your own soil, like the US was for September 11. But um, right, then, yeah. to, then to have them all go through that, uh, and I'm sure it's probably at the point now where there's not many people in America who don't know someone who they've lost in the last year or so to COVID. Um, mm. you know, there's that 
absolute motivation now to do it. Whereas in Australia, people are just like, eh, it's okay, I'm kind of comfortable where I am. Why would I want to get this thing that's potentially causing blood clots and blah, blah, blah? Exactly, mate, exactly. Yeah. Which is, it, it's interesting. Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense what you're saying, but... You know, it, it would benefit Australia if it could be rolled out. But oh, like you said, you know, there's not... And that's like a human thing, isn't it? That that well, that I need not, that, you know, motivation to do something. Well, we're not also, like, at a, in my opinion, at a strategic level, we're not actually taking the time to properly segment out the conversation to educate the Australian public on what are the potential strategic purpose behind this. You know, opening up our country, opening up our economy. Uh, yeah. Everyone's so focused on the, the physical threat, but... Um, you know, now they're running a whole bunch of campaigns here now, mate, with celebrities on TV promoting it. So at least they're getting smart with it. Right. At least it's good they're doing that. Yeah, because it's it's kind of crazy. Like the blood clotting thing, it's sort of the media pump all this information out there. But, you know, the, the chance of even getting a blood clot so low it, and then the chance of actually dying from it, it's less than, you know, the than contraception pills or... Uh, yeah. So it's, it gets blown so far out of proportion and then people come up with conspiracies and it's just crazy. So yeah. it's, that's good. That's good to hear. Look for their own devices, it goes crazy, yeah. Exactly, mate. Um, so with your, I mean, you talked before, I don't know how in detail you you know normally talk about your own personal sure. experience or how comfortable you are, but um, yeah. I was just really interested, you know, what with what you were going through and where you got to, you were saying, um, you know, you got to that point where you're having su- yeah. suicidal ideations. Um, yeah. what, what did you experience? What were you sort of, what was going happening with you, you know, day to day at that point? And then yeah. what, what was the process of, of getting yourself out of that and back on track? Because I think that's like, you know, really important for people yeah. to hear for their own, you know, journey. No, no, good, mate. Yeah, nothing, nothing's off limits for me. It just comes down to my yep. ability to articulate it. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I, when I was getting out of the military, I sort of took my leave and I brought, um, you might know, Barry's boot camp. I brought Barry's boot camp over from uh, the US to Australia and Singapore with my then partner. Uh, and I sort of left the military to do that. And that, raising that brand and raising that company became my identity. And I partnered with, um, some very big business fish to do that. And mm. then um, that was a big learning curve for me, whereas I would always been focused on people and culture and how you do what you do. And I was thrown into having to justify everything that I needed to be done against a um, commercial return and against a spreadsheet. Um, and, you know, never in a spreadsheet do you ever see a line for culture. And long yeah. story short, over the next year, uh, I sort of wedged enough friction between myself and the, and the big wigs that in the middle of 2019, I was made redundant, sort of on the spot. Uh, and uh, my partner, Blake, was like the head of curriculum and my whole life and my whole support network and my whole new identity was within that. And then middle of right. 2019, um, you know, that sort of then perpetuated to uh, relationship breakdown issues at the very start of 2020. Um, just as COVID was about to hit, I was actually in the US yeah. with my partner and uh, we broke up, flew back to be one of the first flights to have to self-isolate in our apartment for two weeks after already oh, breaking wow. up. <laughs> God, then, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're good. It's a and lot. Then, it's a lot. Uh, and, and moved him back over to the US, moved back into my place. Uh, and then particularly with that relationship breakdown, that sort of removed my last attachment to what was that support community I had from the Barrys and actually sort of the, the gay community there in Sydney combined with mm-hmm. the nation being in lockdown and simultaneous to this within the military community, there'd been this ongoing uh, war crimes investigation. You might've heard of the Burton report. 
Um, that was a four and a half year inquiry and investigation through which you know, we had to come forward and give evidence. And once you'd done so, you weren't allowed to talk to anyone for threat of court martial and all this. And it was during the time of that uh, inquiry where there was no proactive mental health follow-up to um, anyone, uh, including myself, who gave evidence. And, you know, particularly when you're being grilled in front of, you know, four or five senior officers about potential mm -hmm. war crimes, you know, landing in the Hague type stuff. It was a very traumatic experience, a lot of the stuff you had to go through. And it just sowed all those seeds of uncertainty. And again, yeah, I lost more of my guys to suicide uh, during the conduct of that inquiry than I did in Afghanistan. And wow. it culminated in August uh, 2020 when I had just taken my dog for a walk to the park. It was a beautiful sunny day in Sydney. And I got a phone call uh, when I was sitting in my apartment alone with him. And one of my soldiers had tried to take his own life uh, by overdosing. Uh, with his uh, young girl in the back room and um, the wife had come home and found him and he was, he's all fine, he's still alive now. But it was just enough to take me to this mental place where uh, by this time I had a bit of a social media profile. I was, you know, this poster boy sort of commando in a uniform picture and all of that from a marketing perspective. And my head went to this place whereby... I applied every part of my uh, military training and tactics and planning to sit down and deliberately plan how I was going to take my own life in order for the government to finally realise that we had a problem. And yeah. I went through for the next couple of hours writing out letters and emails and fully documenting the whole failed transition process, how our Department of Veterans Affairs system process. And the scariest part for me on reflection was it didn't come from a place of sitting there drinking myself stupid, feeling depressed. It literally came from this moment where the most logical thing, you know, 100% my belief system was that I had to take my own life in order for this and to support my, my guys and all of this. And uh, as the story goes, um, my, my dog came and ended up putting his head on my lap as I was sitting there typing on my computer. And I like legitimately instantly snapped out of it because it was time to feed him. And I had mm. a purpose outside of self. And he literally just pulled me out of my own bubble. And uh, the next uh, a couple of hours, I actually sat there and read through what I'd done and all this. And it was actually the first sort of light bulb moment I've had where I've gone, you know, I was willing to put all of everything I've ever been trained to do into this and have someone else read this out. And as I read back through it, I sort of went, well, I need to be the one reading out about this. The number one issue in our current veteran community is how many people are talking about us and no one is talking for us. So uh, I sent those emails to a number of uh, politicians and to our defence minister and I ended up going down to Canberra and meeting with a bunch of them and, and not really much happened there. But then all of a sudden, um, just before this Burton report was released, um, one of the news outlets here released a, an article that said, my platoon in Afghanistan, a US Marine eight years ago had heard us uh, essentially over the radio execute someone that we couldn't fit on a helicopter and I just hadn't had enough by this point in time so I just took to my social media called them out let people know that no I was the commander of November platoon which I didn't really realize at the time you know I was one of the first special forces people to be speaking out and identifying myself and uh, next thing through the good old social media chains uh, someone knew someone who I was a producer at a, a news outlet and the news came and interviewed me and did a feature story and then a week later, the report dropped and next thing I was sort of the, the go-to guy to speak on these issues. So I was actually incredibly fortunate to have an immediate 
an all-consuming purpose thrown to me. But my yeah. initial purpose that helped me break out of that slump and out of that ideation was realizing how much more value I could be supporting my guys alive. And I basically went back to those, that level of purpose that, you know, projected me to my highest levels of performance in service. And that was being able to support my guys again, being able to support my team. And as opposed to thinking just because I didn't have official authority or responsibility, I still always carry that responsibility with me. So it was just more so taking off my lenses of entitlement, as I call it. You know, I'd handed all my problems over to other people. Woe is me. People should be doing this for me. And I put on my lenses of responsibility and went, cool, so like, what can I do? Um, you know, what would those people who we've lost be thinking about how miserable I let myself become? Uh, and then next thing, my uh, sort of turbo boost came from, again, being thrust into the spotlight and the media uh, and needing to sort of go in to fight for our whole community as opposed to just my group. So that's where we're at now. It's still going. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah, thank you, mate, for sharing that. It's an incredible story. It's, uh, the, yeah. the issue was, Nick, that it was the biggest part for me was in those next couple of weeks, you know, you can imagine how ashamed I was to go and tell my sister, go and tell my mum. But it came from a place where by then I spoke with one of my guys and just told him that I was struggling and told him what I'd been through. And he then turned to me and said, I have been exactly there. And he said, I haven't told anyone until you've told me this now. And I then went and had the same conversation with 10 of my guys and nine of them told me the exact same thing. They wow. told me that they'd all been there and none of them had ever said it before. And that was again my second light bulb moment where I went, you know, just through being vulnerable, not thinking it's weakness, but actually talking the full facts authentically with someone, not for the purpose of anything other than potentially providing them with a safe space to do the same. You know, I've now spoken with over 400 veterans who have told me they've been in the same place and they've never told other people like this before. I've spoken with family members, just realizing how common this is, how much more human that makes us feel. Because otherwise it's kind of like, whether you're questioning your sexuality or whatever, this uncertainty that creeps in thinking there's something wrong with you because you've contemplated or had suicidal thoughts or behaviors. And particularly oh, post COVID, post 2020, it's, it's so common and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's okay. It's like, it, and, and that's the thing. That's why I, I fell into this work about 10 years ago and I got asked to talk about it. And a similar thing, it was sort of something I was interested in, like what you were saying, but I got asked to talk in the media about it. And then that led to me to speaking at schools. And then it just sort of went from there. And I kept doing it for that same reason. I'd go into a school, go into a company, do a talk, wherever I did it you'd get all these people coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, you know, I've been through this and I didn't think it was okay to talk about it, but I'm now that I've heard that, I, I, you know, I decided to do something about it. And you realise we're all in this together and, every, you know, people yeah. put on these facades because we haven't been taught how to, how to express it. And we've been taught, like you're saying, that vulnerability is a weakness where it actually takes a lot more strength to talk about your emotions and, and you know, be honest and open about things. That's far more courageous than just bottling it all up. But... Um, it's yeah alarming what you're saying like it's and you know incredible that you're you're being that voice in 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 that area um, because they they clearly need it mental health and well-being are real issues in the construction industry men in construction are twice as likely to take their own life compared to the ones who work in other industries and that's just not good enough with john holland's help we want to make a change we've joined together to have honest conversations about mental health 
life, and stories of people who have overcome challenges. When we hear about stories and struggles that sound a bit like ours, we can learn from each other and remember that we're not alone. It's so empowering once people are able to look at that small part of themselves that they thought was wrong or different, or they carried some form of uncertainty, and then they carry that everything in their life. And the all- yeah. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All of a sudden feel like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of normal. It's not, you know, you've got to be careful of those who grab onto it and are happy with that victimhood status. But the next part yeah. is then making sure that they're, as you just did with me, is like, you know, what did you learn from that? How did you recover from that? Put on those lenses of responsibility. Uh, you know, what yeah. can you teach and help others um, who are going to go through this um, just like you did to make sure that they can come out of it quicker or at least feel more safe and supported when they do, so... Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, day to day, are there things that you do to keep yourself um, st- mentally stable? Do you have things that you can share that you you, yeah. you do daily? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the realization, the biggest part came down to that realization. You know, we keep mental health, mental health, mental health. Like here in Australia, the um, psychologists and psychiatrists are so overwhelmed at the moment. You know, our government even opened up extra subsidies in the last budget to help everyone get access to it and particularly given how isolated we've become over COVID and so many people have disengaged from physical communities we've gone online communities and so many people are only engaging in mental health at that clinical level yeah the biggest thing for me has been this holistic health and this mental fitness piece like you know this session with you today is my mental fitness session and for me um, as, a, as a number of things first and foremost it was re-establishing um, that base layer of community. And when I say community, I literally just mean support network. And as if, you know, we are we are one big pizza that we cut up into many slices and having enough people in my life that I'm comfortable sharing each slice of that pizza with someone. So as the whole, the whole pie is covered off. Um, and when I have my sort of down moments, I have those people I reach out to in those respective areas. But on the daily, physical fitness is huge for me. Uh, and particularly coming out of a life in military, I really struggled to train anywhere near the level that I used to be because I used to train for right. a purpose for a mission for a team. But it's I have to every day like go and do something knowing that that's actually where I'm, my most creative notes will flow, all that sort of stuff. Through to uh, my dog. I never had a dog growing up and I'm just so adamant that uh, a dog is the best thing for as an antidepressant, anti-anxiety. But first and foremost, particularly for someone like me, it helps me live in the moment. Dogs and yeah. small children are the best at helping us to just really appreciate living in the moment. Uh, and I can't meditate because uh, I just can't shut my mind down. But literally watching something that makes me live in that moment, makes me feel that emotion, makes me smile, uh, really is sort of my daily dose. And It's uh, a reminder, a, yeah. Absolutely. And as a part yeah. of that, it's taking him for a walk. And that's the one time when I put my phone down, I leave it at home and 
get outside and instead of looking down, sort of looking up. And I don't know what it's like there living in New York in your apartment, but particularly for me living in Sydney, living in an apartment, you know, your situational awareness is as close as the walls are to your head. Mm. So therefore, mm. the, the space between you being here and inside your head is so much closer. So for me, getting outside and going for a walk along Brisbane River, going for a walk outside where I'm small and insignificant to what's around me, again, helps me to bring my mindset much further out um, from being inside the, the dangerous four walls of my own head. So some very simple things, but that's sort of my daily routine, yeah. Yeah, I think that's all, that, they're great. And, and I think probably having the responsibility with a dog as well is another part, yeah. isn't it? Having that where it's sort of keeping you accountable and it makes you sort of, it, it just, yeah, it, it keeps you sort of, again, present and having to have that responsibility and a purpose to, to, to do that. But yeah, um, absolutely. Have you, you, you've known the love languages, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah, my, my, the way I show love or show value is uh, acts of service, which I get to do on the daily. But the way I really realized in COVID and lockdown helped me realize what I missed the most is uh, quality time. You know, someone who just wants to be with me for the sake of being with me and that's where my dog gives that to me in troves <laughs> he won't oh, let me massively. sit alone and he'll just be there so um you know i feel from physical touch you know affirmation and giving and receiving gifts but you know my my last partner didn't like a gift unless it had a, unless it had a brand name my dog likes a four dollar <laughs> chew toy so it makes me feel very special yeah it covers off the on dog. that whole circle yeah, massively, massively. Yeah. I mean, during COVID, I was back living with my mum and dad and um, I, I was in their house most of the time and I, I actually like felt probably happier then than I do now because life was simple. I had like so much, like what you're talking about, like in New yeah. York, I'm in a tiny little apartment on my own. The community around me is, you know, there's people everywhere, but you don't have that core community. Yeah. And, you know, I was back there and you got space, you got nature. And then I had the family dog there that I'd hang out with all day, every day while I was working. And I, I like, it was really hard leaving it for that same reason. Yeah. You just like, it's, it's just so like joyful to be around the dog because they're just happy. They're just so happy to see you and always, it's always a positive, it's an unconditional thing. So it is you, like true yeah. unconditional love. I eh? Yeah, massively, massively. That um, that stuff you talk about with your family, and again, sort of COVID and lockdowns helped me really appreciate that. That sort of decluttering of your life, and appreciating you know what is actually truly important, as opposed to all of those things we pile into our lives. That when yeah. you know, when the going gets tough and the true test of culture is in crisis or in extreme success, you're sort of left there looking to see what's 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 propping you up and what's supporting you. And I was the same. I was in Sydney and. The Queensland border was locked down for most of the year. So as soon as I could, you know, I moved back up here and I'm back around my sort of family unit mm. and support network. So, yeah. And probably just a more sort of simple life there and less hustle and bustle and it's just, you know, yeah. just easier. A bit warmer too. <laughs> <laughs> that helps as well. But yeah, no, that's absolutely. what I've noticed being over here. It was sort of when I was younger, um, I... I always thought it'd be so amazing to live in New York and you, you know, you want all these different things. And then now I'm like looking at everything and I'm like, well, even if you could live here and have all the success in the world, why, you know, why do you need that? It's like yeah. the, it's just the simple things are the core simple things are what make us happy. And that's available to pretty much everyone. But then yeah. we sort of try and kill ourselves to attain something that we think is going to make us happy. But then yeah. when you get it, 
you sort of still need more. And I see that with people, you know, I've met so many like incredibly wealthy people here and people from all walks of life. And a lot of them don't seem happy. They're, they're addicted to like stimulation and needing more and the next thing and proving themselves. And it's just like a never ending, you're on a hamster wheel once you're doing yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to now, you know, take that step back and even seeing, I mean, last year, uh, December, I lost my grandfather. He was 90 years old. He'd fought in the Korean War and the Vietnam War. And uh, I went over to visit him and my nana in Geraldton, which is just north of Perth, uh, a couple of months before uh, he passed because we thought he was going to pass then. And, you know, Western Australia in Australia has been sort of a state isolated from the rest of the country since COVID started. So life over there is normal. There was like no COVID there. Mm. But yet still, because of his medical um, condition, you know, he could, couldn't breathe very well and all this. You know, he had lived in his home with my nana for like, you know, the last year without leaving or only leaving every now and then. So they've been living on lockdown for so long. But just sitting there and watching them every morning do the crossword, every night Mm. at five o'clock was happy hour and they'd have a sherry. And every time my nana walked past, he would, you know, just say, how's my, the most beautiful woman in the world? And just watching true happiness, true happiness, you know, there were no flashy cars, there were no brands, there were no parties, there were no anything but I've never felt so warm and inspired in my life at a time when there was so much going on for me. It was just so grounding, truly asking yourself that question, like, what do you need to make you happy? Because, um, you know, as I watched his body physically failing, his heart and his head were so sharp and so inspired. And he was literally living each next day to try and be there longer for my nana. Um, you know, it's just particularly us and our generation mate it's so easy to like you're saying get caught oh. up in that what's next what's next what's next but it's like what what do i have here and now and what makes me happy yeah oh absolutely and i couldn't agree more and i think the older you sort of get you, you just start to really realize that and you, you you look at things and you question things that you used to think would be make you happy or goals or motiv- motivations that you had and you realize hang on like yeah, what, why kill myself to, you know, try and get something that probably won't make me happy anyway. It's probably going to bring more stress, if anything. And like you said yeah. earlier, I know a lot of people with money and they don't seem happier. They get actually addicted to then needing to make more money and have more experiences. And But none of them are rich, meaningful experiences because money yeah. can't do that for you. It's like, like that example. It's sort of having that that's what I want, you know, that, that kind of relationship where you can just share life with someone and, and you don't need much to do that. But that's what yeah. happiness really is, being able to have those really rich and meaningful experiences. Yeah, I think that's it. The old question that we sort of pose to each other these days um, within sort of my circles is, you know, what happens if that is removed from you? What happens if that money is removed? What happens if everything you have is sort of removed? Like, who are you? Um, what, exactly. is your identi- your, what is your identity without all of those extrinsic things? And that's been the biggest thing is when we're actually comfortable with who we are, when we're alone, when there's no mm-hmm. excitement, no money, no fun. Uh, you know, loneliness is literally the biggest killer the world over as far as yeah. suicide goes. And it comes from not being fully confident and comfortable with who we are by ourselves. So everything yeah. I sort of try and do from here in is to, you know, really consolidate, accept those shortcomings as vulnerabilities, not as weaknesses, but really, really realize, you know, should you know, COVID 2.0 happen tomorrow, uh, who am I? How am I going to survive it? What do I need to survive it? And how can I be happy and make those I love happy? So, 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because, you know, life is always going to be cyclical. It's going to have ups and downs. We can't control a lot of things. So if we are attaching our identity to ex- anything external, we're, we're going to have a pretty traumatic sort of experience in life and we're not going to, you're not going to find peace because that's not where it comes from. It's sort of like what you said. It's like if you strip everything away, who are you? You know, do you, yeah. do you feel like you're of, of value? And again, going back to New York, every, all the people I've met here, I feel like if they had everything stripped away, they would just be in a state of hysteria. They would feel like <laughs> they're, you know, they've, they've got, it's, it's all putting on a show all the time. So it's sort of, yeah. it's, and it, this is, it's not any individual's fault. It's a societal thing. It's what we've been taught. But it is. And another thing that came to mind before, because I know for me, I find this difficult. I've done a lot of work on myself and work in this area, but I'm also trying to, you know, build my, my business and I pursue acting as well and yeah. find I've got, I'm, I'm competitive by nature. I grew up being a competitive athlete and I find it so hard still to find the balance between doing the stuff I'm doing for the right reason and trying to, you know, grow my career and have the life I want um, yeah. and balancing that out with not putting the pressure on myself and trying to, you know, compete or take it out of context and you know try trying to sort of put that extreme pressure on do you do you find that balancing act difficult or do you feel like you've sort of got that a bit more nah, under control? I'm, my, my psychologist session this week is like <laughs> i have a i have a terrible habit of not being able to say no i end yeah. up giving too much of myself like i said my the way i feel loved the way i feel valued the way i feel relevant is through acts of service and doing things for people and particularly now coming from that place of famine seven or eight months ago where I felt like I was, you know, literally empty and irrelevant through to now where I'm, you know, back into being highly relevant and um, sought after to help people and all this sort of stuff. I continuously prioritise myself last Um, and, you know, my personal routines through to even my physical fitness, nutrition, all these sort of things, all those, excuse me, pillars that... I need to help support and stabilise my mental health are too often um, the last things that I focus on. And that sort of goes back to that ingrained doctrinal, indoctrinated behaviour of sort of service and others before self. So I have had to spend the last six months really peeling back who I have had in my support network and really bringing in a few more people um, who really help me to balance things out, who help me to be able to say no to help me uh, sometimes just sit down and appreciate that I can't do everything and help everyone that I want to. Uh, and just, again, that's been the biggest part is really coming to grips with the balance that is what can be done as opposed to what I want to do and finally starting to put my own self as a priority in there somewhere. Uh, and I'll tell you what, mate, it's still a, it's still a work in progress. It's, if there's, it's the number one thing I need to get better at is... Um, putting some time in the Same. daily calendar or whatever it is to, to put Heston's investment as opposed to other people's investment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's that, it's that people pleasing thing, I guess, which I, I have it trouble is. with. That's probably the biggest for me as well. It's sort of yeah. being able to say no to things. And the ironic thing is, and I'll often get burnt out because, and I'll think I'm saying yes to things because it's wanting to, you know, do more and help more people, but often it has you always the justify it. <laughs> but you justify it, but then you end yeah. up sort of not performing as well. Or you know, if you if you put yourself and your well being first, you're going to be much more healthy and clear to actually make smarter and better decisions to probably end up 
making a bigger impact anyway. But it, it is that balancing act where it's it, it's really difficult to yeah. um, find I that think, middle ground in it. It'd be the same with you. You know, when you've got you've got ten different people who aren't talking to each other but are all coming to you, to then yeah. like say no to one or two of them. You know, they don't know there's like another eight over here you've already said yes to. You know, so yeah, you're hitting them yeah. with you're hitting them with failure or rejection uh, on the first time. Whereas you know this is what again my psychologist helped me with is like the more you can take people on that journey, as I said before, and just like help them know just what you actually got going on. You know you'll actually yeah. help them to feel like they're doing something for you by you not helping them. Uh, so that's yeah, sort of my yeah. little, that's my little uh, reversal exactly. that I'm trying to work on moving forward and just being open and honest and communicating and not, you know, oh, I'm so busy, but it's like, look, I would love to, but yeah. Exactly. No, I, I, I really like that. And, and it is, it's like, <laughs> it, and it just, and just being honest. It's like, look, I, yeah. And, and sometimes it is. It it's goes, so suck eggs, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always hard, but I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to use that one that you said there. I, I think it's really good. What's communication, <laughs> mate? Number one it's thing everything. that we keep stuffing on on is communication. And you and I are probably exactly. great people at telling people that. But then when it comes push comes to shove, it's like practice what you preach, boys. <laughs> exactly, mate. Exactly. And I'm good yeah. at it in some areas, but some can be really bad. And and it, it, it's like do as I say, not as I do. You know, we exactly. can get caught up in. <laughs> but at, yeah. and and but at the same time, you know, that's where a lot of this conversation stems from. It's because, of, and I think that's what. Uh, I try and encourage that's the main thing I'm trying to encourage people to do like what you're doing just it's no one's going to ever be perfect we shouldn't aim for perfection that doesn't exist anyway what does that mean but let's just all be more honest and open and talk you know we might not have the answers we might we might be horrific at certain things we might make terrible decisions but if we can just be honest that's that's the best we can do and then we can try and improve we might not ever get there in some areas but just being open and honest, then you, you can't go too wrong. You know, I think if, yeah, if everyone right. was like that, yeah, the world would be a lot more and, simple. And just with each other, again, at the moment, yeah. everyone's saving up to see their psychologist or psychiatrist or counsellor to unleash that honest part. Whereas yeah. that's all I've learned is the more you do that in the daily life, the less you have to speak to those trained professionals because you're actually doing it yourself. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, mate. Yeah. Um, so no, thank you for sharing everything that you've talked about. It's like I've I've taken a huge amount out of it, and I think uh, people, our listeners, will get a huge amount out of that. I r- massively appreciate you being so open and vulnerable and sharing your own story. And I thought it was so powerful, and it's amazing, you know, the journey you've been on and what you're doing. And I can see how you would be helping, literally saving people's lives, which is you know, there's not nothing more powerful than that. So I think it's incredible what you're doing and appreciate you coming on um we finish every episode we've just got five uh these are just sort of quick answer questions that we finish every Ooh. episode with nothing too okay. crazy or tricky not Already. not trying to catch you out these are all they're sort of like you know on 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 topic mental health related ones okay. so don't nothing nothing Sorry. to be scared of um but yeah five one so the first one is um what's the best childhood memory that comes to mind oh that is such a good question um, my first ever birthday at McDonald's because all I ever wanted for a birthday was to have one of those ice cream birthday cakes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember them. Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> there was the ball. There was a ball pit, and there was an ice cream cake, and I was the happiest yeah. kid in the world. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I and I, I vividly plug, plug remember those. There. <laughs> <laughs> Mental health and McDonald's. You know what? Sometimes yeah. it, it can help. Um, what do you what do you think's currently the biggest burden on mental health in society today? 
Um, oof, the biggest burden on mental health. Uh, people carrying around any form of uncertainty or unhappiness with themselves, that literally they are the only person who can fix that. Um, that's my biggest saying, and that's the biggest thing I've realized over the last seven months is that I was literally the only person holding myself back. Everything from um, the times questioning my sexuality through to the times struggling through everyday life. Um, mm. All of these things that I thought I was meant to be able to do and all these things I carried with me as weakness and uncertainty, I was the only person carrying them and I've been the only person to put them down. So as we've discussed, people's ability to appreciate vulnerability as empowering and authenticity as the true level of sort of elite mental and, uh, and emotional health, um, that's, that's the biggest thing for me. Thinking we all have to be perfect, absolutely Yeah. Not. And you said that yeah. before. I think that's really powerful, mate. And just, yeah realizing that we don't have to carry that on our own we don't have to be perfect and these things that we are panicking about in our mind uh it's not we don't no one person can solve everything you know there's support out there talk about it we can get help you know that's it back in my military career we had this one saying daily renewable contract who you Mm. turned up who turned up each and every day and what you did each and every day was what we were defined by. And particularly in a society where we keep looking back and breaking down people into minorities mm. and demographics and what you used to be and comparing ourselves to what we used to be. Just adopting that mindset, um, you know, who you are each and every day and how you do what you do has to be that sort of testament we start looking forward to because, you know, the more we keep trying yep. to change the past or compare ourselves to the past, you know, we're going to get literally nowhere. It doesn't work. And the yeah. same with the future if we're basing our happiness on only when I get to point x i'll be happy then you know you're miserable and you're looking forward and it's and it shouldn't be about attaining you know i'm doing blah 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 to make money or to achieve this level of status or whatever it is it should be about it's about the process it's about hang on what am i how am i going to actually enjoy what i'm doing today in the process of that if there's if rewards come out of that that's a bonus but that's not why i'm doing it and and it comes back to you know what you said about mental fitness as well we, I think a lot of people have the notion that, you know, what do I do when I'm in a state of hysteria? How do I get myself back to feeling good? And they'll try and get that, which you should seek support and help get yourself back there. But then they're not putting in these preventative measures where yeah. we're very, we're very good with the reactive stuff, which we need to have as well, which you talked about. But the preventative stuff is how can I do stuff every single day? The same as eating and sleeping and everything else to keep me in line and look after my, you know, mental well-being and that disciplines what's going to keep you grounded for, you know, a long period of time. Absolutely, just like going to the gym, just like getting a training. Same thing, yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing, yeah. isn't it? It is. Um, it really is. Where do you see mental health in ten years' time in society? Do you see things getting better, or do you see a bit of getting? Yeah, do you see things improving? I, I definitely do, as long as we continue to approach it from a place of that proactiveness that you were talking about, as opposed to continuously overloading the system reactively. And yep. again, the biggest um, preventative measure, therapy pill to this is more and more people engaging at the community level and appreciating yep. each other daily and appreciating that, like we just said before, just like you go to the gym, just like you have a gym buddy, just like you have a trainer, you know, mental fitness is actually more important than physical fitness. Because I don't know about you, but I find it so hard to go to the gym and put in a good session if my head isn't in the right place. Um, What I've learned from all of my special forces days is, you know, if your head and heart are in alignment, you know, the body will just crush it and will do whatever it needs to do. It'll push through pain, it'll push through anything. Mm -hmm. So the more, you know, if you're going to skip 
a fitness session, you know, skip a physical fitness session, never skip a mental fitness session. Definitely. And, and also in line with what you said earlier, I find exercise for me probably the most uh, powerful thing for, for mental health. You know, I, I exercise for my mind because it just, yeah, good. it's it's a, the best thing. I, you know, I can't, it's a simple thing, but can't stress how important it is. And it's amazing just... It, it can literally, you know, your, your mindset before and after, is it's dramatic. Yeah. And, and like you said, creativity comes out and yeah. um, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, it's just different people knowing different things. And as you would yeah. know, that biological yeah. reaction that occurs when you work out, the releasing of all those uh, chemicals and everything else that happens, you're literally making your body set the conditions. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I've got just two final ones here. Um, Do it. Uh, what is your personal definition of happiness? Oh, personal definition of happiness. Um, personal definition of happiness. Um, my personal mantra is to be good at your job and be a good person. Personal definition of happiness is just finally accepting yourself for who you are. Um, you know, warts and all. And that's what I've really found. And then the very next level of happiness for me is then applying that to those around me and how my happiness can complement their happiness. And again, find that balance where it's not one or the other, it's I'm finally happy with who I am and just so confident bringing that to every single thing I do in my life because that's where you get to pass on that happiness. I love that, yeah, that's that's yeah. really great, mate. It's a good question. Uh, Oof. Yeah, <laughs> I had some really interesting answers for that one, but I, I love your answer. Um, so the last one, uh, what uh, is the most courageous thing that you've ever done? Oh, good question. <laughs> this is Sounds actually like you've, such a... you've done a few, but yeah. Well, it's such a funny story and particularly just always trying to help people learn the lessons that I've learned quicker or failed that throughout mm. my military career, mate, I've shown, you know, physical courage and you never realize you're showing physical courage, but you know, I've had people trying to kill me, I've killed people, all that good stuff, all that sort of physical courage that everyone, you know, wow. And the biggest times I've failed has been moral courage, you know. I've failed a few times. Um, I remember once in 2014, this young guy I worked with in the military came up to me and sort of asked me this question if he, it would be okay if he put his application in for special forces if he didn't like girls. Uh, you know, this time I was in the, in the closet, I was petrified I was an officer I was petrified he might have thought I was gay and I just brushed it off and this 21 year old guy was in the biggest moment of vulnerability he'd ever been in his life yeah. uh, and I failed him uh, and ever since then I've sort of been trying to make up for that and what I failed at but as far as the most courageous thing um, I think the most courageous thing I've ever done was when I actually just sort of stepped up uh, when all this stuff started to happen and people started to accuse my platoon of doing wrong things and putting myself out in the public. Uh, and I didn't think it was brave at the time, but when I sort of stepped back and realized that I'd done everything from paint the target on my back and my family's back through, for potential terrorists who wanted to know who I was, through to you know really potentially bringing the wrath of our government and everything else in between, that's probably one thing that in hindsight, I can be very proud in realizing that I showed probably my highest level of courage for nothing more than it was the right thing to do so yeah yeah, yeah well thank you so much for sharing that as well mate it's uh, all right you got you got some incredible stories there uh so i just want to say again thank you for doing it and sharing being so vulnerable and 
uh, amazing stories that you've shared. I've, uh, yeah, super interesting learning everything about you. And I think it's incredible what you're doing. So yeah, thank you again, mate, for making the time to come on the podcast. Thanks for having me on here, Nick. And like I said, thanks for my uh, daily mental fitness session. This has definitely been a, a really good one. I'll go need to go stretch afterwards. <laughs> Great. No, I'm glad, mate. I'm glad. Thank you. And look after yourself. Will do, mate. Awesome. This episode of Move Your Mind was produced and edited by Tim Boozer. Thanks to Heston Russell for joining me today for Move Your Mind. And just a final reminder that the Move Your Mind book is available in stores Australia-wide, online through Booktopia and Amazon, and you can pre-order it globally. You can find all of the links through nickbrax.com. And once again, thank you for supporting us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.